Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back everyone, Almost Sideways Podcast, episode 25. We have made it to 25 episodes. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. I am once again joined by Zach Saltz and Todd Plucknett. When, so it's, it's the 25th episode, does that mean we need like gifts for each other? Well, we could, we could. Well, what is the, what is the 25th like gift? Like, isn't there, isn't there like a, a theme to these things? Or is that, is that just anniversary? Is it silver? I don't know. Does that mean we have to, like, quote Silver Linings Playbook or something? I think it means we need to watch 25 foreign movies. Or watch 25th Hour. Oh, I'll do that any day. Yeah, that that sounds better. Uh, all right well uh thank you so much for listening uh if you haven't done so yet make sure you uh rate review subscribe on itunes uh find us all over the internet uh almostsideways.com find us on facebook find us on twitter uh before we get into our movie review this week todd has uh put out his latest oscar predictions he teased it in the last podcast and since then it has come out and uh, we wanted to just kind of highlight a few things off of that list. So, Todd, I'm going to throw it over to you and uh, tell us what you think uh, the Oscars are going to look like. All right. Uh, so the I, I have some movies that I mentioned throughout the predictions a lot. Uh, the Favorite is The Favorite by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, it looks like a really bizarre kind of old costume drama movie like Yorgos Lanthimos is the guy who did The Killing of Sacred Deer and The Lobster and this uh, movie with Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz and Olivia Colman I think is the one to beat because it is just so different uh, and uh, the Academy has done a lot of rewarding movies that are not normally Academy taste recently uh, then you got uh, two, two years ago we had Barry Jenkins against Damien Chazelle, and we have that once again. Uh, if Beale Street Could Talk is Barry Jenkins' movie, and uh, First Man, the movie uh, Neil Armstrong, is uh, Damien Chazelle's movie. Uh, A Star is Born, which we are reviewing today, is directed by Bradley Cooper. That definitely feels like an Academy movie, but I'm not really sure it feels like a Best Picture winner, but it's definitely going to get a lot of nominations. Uh, and... Uh, one movie I really like its chances is called A Private War, which I'm not even sure has a trailer yet, but it's by the director of uh, an Oscar-nominated documentary, Cartel Land, Matthew Heineman. It's called, uh, yeah, I, I mean, A Private War it looks like uh, it could be a real Oscar movie, and it's in the good situation right now where it doesn't have a lot of hype on it, which, going into Oscar season, the favorite never actually wins Best Picture. And, uh, there's Netflix movies like Roma and, uh, and some other stuff, but a couple movies that just came out with the trailer is, uh, Vice, which is the movie about Dick Cheney by Adam McKay, which looks really good, and I hadn't seen that trailer when I wrote the article, but I think that actually has a better shot than I was giving it credit for at the time. And, uh, there's a new Clint Eastwood movie, which who knows how they actually are going to take that, and, I don't know, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, looking at your list, Todd, you have Christian Bale for Best Actor ranked 11th. And after watching that trailer, 
yesterday. Uh, he looks unrecognizable in that. That kind of begs, I think, for Oscar consideration. Yeah, I had to double check who was playing Dick Cheney when I saw the trailer and saw some pictures because I couldn't tell who it was. I thought it was Will Ferrell, honestly. <laughs> I thought it was yeah, Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, Christian Dreyfuss. Bale is pretty good at uh, completely changing his body and look for and, every role. So. And the Academy loves him ever since he won, too. Indeed. I mean, he got nominated for American Hustle. That's true. And it, doesn't, it does feel like Vice should be directed by David O. Russell. I mean, that's kind of like a David O. Russell cast in a way. One thing that that uh, gives me halt about the movie is that I mean W was sort of a flop, and that that kind of had a similar feel going into it. It it totally took that story seriously, but with like that kind of like wink of uh, of satire. And I'm not really sure I'm a hundred percent on board with Vice, but I think the trailer does look really good. So I'm just kind of curious, Todd. Why why are you so big on the favorite? I mean, I saw the trailer for it yesterday. I've been reading about it, but like. You know, Yorgos Lathimos, I mean, he's made, like, really good movies the last couple years, but they haven't really gotten a lot of Oscar attention. So why is this one different? The Lobster got nominated for an Oscar. I think that shows that they actually, like, really like the guy. I mean, and uh, his foreign movie, obviously, Dogtooth, was nominated as well. I I think he's just... this this, And this movie has Oscar darling Emma Stone, and it's got a former winner in Rachel Weisz, and... I don't know. I think there's a lot of pedigree with this movie, and he didn't actually write it, so I don't think it's going to be as bizarre as his other movies, and it's going to be slightly more in the Academy's taste. What's your over-under on Oscar nominations for The Favorite? Uh, so it would be... I'd say... I'd say seven and a half would be a pretty good median number. I, I would still go over, though. Okay, I'm going to go out on an almost sideways podcast limb. I'm going to say that not only will it be nominated for under seven and a half Oscars, I'm going to say it's going to be nominated for zero Oscars. I think it's going to bomb. I, 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 I don't think people are going to like it. I think it's it's a costume drama, and it's going to go over people's heads, and it's going to get like a 64 on Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, it will be ignored by the Academy. Zero Oscar nominations would be ridiculous. Like, how is that not going to get nominated for costumes and art direction at least? Like, those are like guarantees. And Emma Stone, I'm pretty sure, is almost a lock for a supporting actress nomination. And then I'm also looking at your list right now. I can't imagine. I, I also think that Boy Erased. I I I could see that movie like getting really bad reviews. Like, you know, like a a, a Revolution Road or something like that. You know, like uh, just a movie that critics don't buy and it's just. Are you talking I don't know. Re- Reservation Road? Reservation Road, whatever that whatever that movie was called. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, it has the pedigree, but I mean, I don't know. I think it looks kind of silly and over the top. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100% convinced on that either. I like that's just a movie that's gotten really good festival attention, and so that's why I put it up there. I'm. I thought Joel Egerton's last movie was pretty good, but I'm not really sure he actually has a talent to make a best picture contender. But I don't know. The one okay. that I, I that uh, actually rose up after I wrote this article was Green Book, which is the um, movie with Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali, and by directed by one of the Farrelly brothers and that movie won the I think it was the Toronto Film Festival which usually has a pretty good uh, correlation with being an Oscar nominee so that that could be uh, one of those underdogs that uh, I did not mention in these uh, predictions. Todd, I will bet you having to watch five movies of your choice that the favorite will not get a single nomination in any of the eight major categories. 
So if gets nominated for even one of the top eight awards, picture director, any of the acting and screenplays, I will watch five movies of your choosing. That that's how confident I am that it's not getting nominated for anything. How am I gonna guarantee you're actually gonna watch the movies? You still haven't watched the Tree of Wooden Clocks. Well, hey, you know, maybe if the favorite gets nominated, then you know, have to hold my feet to the fire. If if it, if or it's on the podcast today, if it's on the podcast, he he has to watch it and review all of them. And rev- that's gonna be a long podcast. It, it would be a long <laughs> podcast. Maybe, maybe it'd be like uh, we we would have him uh, like do like like Twitter long reviews or something like that. I just think that, you know, this isn't like the 1980s, and, y- you know, Yorgos is not Milos Forman. Like, I just don't, I, I don't see the Academy having taste for, for his kind of stuff. I see his stuff as very subversive and over the top, and, I mean, you're, you're right about... This isn't his movie, though. He, he didn't write it. This is not his creation. But you, you don't think that he's going to have his stamp on it somehow? I mean, the trailer looked very Yorgos. Like, yeah. looked looked very dark and violent and very subversive. And I don't know. I mean, I, I know his stuff gets good reviews, but it's just not necessarily the most, like, Oscar-friendly stuff. I, I don't know. know. I mean, so w- what should be the favorite for Best Picture, then? Because I, I honestly was struggling with that. I, I kept the favorite because that was my that was what I had in January, and I did not see anything that actually overtook it in the last like nine months i think right now a star is born is the favorite i don't think that's a that does not feel like a movie that's going to win best picture terry what do you think's the favorite uh, break the argument i'm break i'm kind of with todd in the fact that i think it's wide open and i have no clue um i i agree that a star is born doesn't necessarily feel like something that's going to win um but i i don't think the favorite is either um they won't reward Barry Jenkins again this soon um, I mean I'd like to think First Man has a shot but I don't know um, maybe Roma but it's a Netflix movie uh, I I'm at a loss it, it, it's going to take another another month or two to really see what starts to emerge as as a, the top contender or contenders. That's why I said I like a private war because that movie has no buzz right now, but it's got a lot of good things going for it, and I think that that like a movie like that is a movie that usually ends up winning. I mean, y'all are crazy. It'll get seen here pretty soon. A Star, a Star is Born. I mean, come on, it's got like it's a musical. It's about the entertainment industry. It's got great reviews. It's got people that haven't won Oscars that should win Oscars. It's I think it's clearly the favorite right now. There hasn't been a. A directorial debut best picture winners in almost 20 years like that does not happen especially not actors directly or a remake yeah or a remake of a remake of a remake of a remake well we'll see but i i mean i agree that it's kind of open in the air and i think the default goes to the the tr- traditional formula for the oscar front runner which a star is born i think fits more clearly than but any that's other not right what's now. been winning lately Moon, well, like Moonlight. Well, yeah, but we're not talking no, about what's going to win. The... We're talking about the favorite. I think that's different. I think any, you know, maybe, oh, maybe something so what could happen. Give the best when... odds to win. Like, yeah, that that's totally different. Yeah, the, the favorite I would not give is the best odds to win. I would take that as like a ten to one shot or something. What would you What would you say is the odds on favorite right now? If I was creating odds and trying to get people to bet on both sides, I would probably I would probably get uh, first man as uh as a favorite maybe that maybe they'll give you know damon chazelle best picture and barry jenkins best director to make up for how they <laughs> did that last time i don't know i would like that i would like to see that 
I think one thing that's clear is we uh, we still don't know a whole lot about this race, but it's definitely at a point where it's going to start uh, coming into form over the next month as a lot of these movies start to be released and uh, and get and get seen and uh, the first awards like critic awards. When do the first critic awards start to be announced, Todd? Uh, like December. I think like the week before December, the National Board of Review comes out and the Golden Globe nominations. I think they come out around right around the same time. So in the next and the Spirit Awards in the next month to six weeks, we'll know a whole lot more and we can uh, we can look at this again. I just love how you put out predictions in January and not a ton has changed off your predictions. Um, I mean, there's there's definitely some things that have uh, that have emerged, but, uh, but well, I'm you... not just throwing up hail marys. I make those January predictions. Like I, I that is seriously like a like a twenty hours of research kind of <laughs> twenty <laughs> kind of hours. Thing. Yeah. Wow. I I'd believe it with with what you pull out and to in making that. Well, uh, it, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see uh, to see how it all shapes up. And, uh, and like I said, um, we're starting to see some of those movies. So let's, uh, let's move on from that and hop into our movie review for the, uh, for the podcast. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. And that movie review that we're going to be talking about is A Star is Born, which was just released this weekend. Uh, really kind of kicking off award season as the first real major award contender uh, to get its wide release, and it's the first of many coming up. Next week we have First Man, and soon after we have several more. Uh, so, Zach, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, tell us all about A Star is Born and what you thought. So, A Star is Born is the fourth remake um, of this kind of formula. The original was in the 1930s with Frederick March and Janet Gaynor. And then in the 50s, it starred James Mason and Judy Garland. In the 70s, it was with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. And then now the newest one, for some reason, it skipped over the 90s. I don't know. I felt like if, if they wanted to make A Star is Born for the 90s, it could have been The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston and uh, Kevin Costner. Mm. That could have worked, almost, but it's not quite the same movie. But anyway, so, so this I don't remake, want to hear Kevin Costner sing. Yeah, that's the problem. He doesn't <laughs> sing in that movie. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I, there, there, there's, some, there's some parallels. Um, anyway, this version... Uh, well, okay, and and I'll I'll be up front. I have only seen parts of the second and third version. I have not seen the original, and the second version uh, I was really impressed with. I like Julie Garland, Julie Judy Garland's uh, songs, and that one, "The Man That Got Away," is like a great, great movie song. The one in the seventies is uh, a little iffy. Okay, uh, this this version with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga is a definite improvement over the nineteen seventies version. Um, and the film stars Bradley Cooper as uh, world famous singer Jackson Maine, who's uh, you know sort of in the traditional uh, movie trajectory of drunken singers, sort of over the hill, and then he meets up with Lady Gaga, who is this aspiring wait waitress actress slash singer who you know aspires to be famous and. You know, they team up and yada, yada, yada. The story is somewhat predictable and in its trajectory. And you really don't have to have seen the original movies at all to sort of 
sense what's happening. Um, so if you're looking for like the most original story in the world, it's probably not going to be here. However, uh, the basis of whether this film is successful or not is if these two actors have chemistry, and they most definitely do. Um, the music in this movie is really outstanding. Uh, pretty much all the songs, I'm guessing, are original. I certainly didn't recognize any of them. Um, it feels like this film's a shoo-in for several Best Song nominations, potentially. Uh, Lady Gaga has acted in American Horror Story and I think maybe one or two other films in like minor roles or maybe like cameo appearances, but this is really her, her debut lead performance and I think she's fantastic in the film. Um, she looks very different from the traditional kind of Lady Gaga look we see off, off screen. She builds this character who's really believable, this character Allie, and uh, we believe their relationship really every second of the way. Uh, I think the first 30 minutes of this movie are really strong. I love the the way that the characters are introduced, particularly at the drag bar, which is sort of a an ode to um, you know this kind of uh, queer derivation of this story a little bit. And then I really like the last thirty minutes too, which are shameless, shamelessly sentimental but effective. The middle parts get a little murky at times. I wish the story had propelled maybe a little bit faster at times, but uh, it's always interrupted by great music, um, even when the story feels a little slow. And there's really nice supporting performance performances, um, particularly by Sam Elliott, who plays Bradley Cooper's older brother and manager. So for me, this uh, lived up to expectations. I was really pleased with this film. Um, it takes a hard, kind of grittier look at it than maybe some of the previous versions, and I give it a solid three and a half stars. And it's the, and it's the, it's the leading contender for Best Picture. I don't care what you all say. It's going to make a ton of money. Yeah, I uh, I echo a lot of what you said. Uh, I, I love this movie. It's, it's my first four-star movie of the year. Um, I I thought it was it was outstanding. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, like you said, had amazing chemistry, uh, and I loved the music. Uh, the way the music uh, just kind of fit the tone of every moment, and yet also kind of spoke to what was happening in that moment and somewhat foreshadowed what was about to happen. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of Once, in that sense of just how the music, how it was a musical, but nothing felt forced, and it all just fit perfectly. Uh, and I loved the I loved the sound of the movie. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, got this uh, also, but in the theater, whenever you were in like the concert setting, the sound was like over-the-top blaring, and at first it threw me off, and then I realized it was an intentional thing, because you're in a concert, and it wants to make you feel like you are sitting in a concert venue listening to these songs, and it really just envelops you. And I, I had to catch myself after some of the songs of I'm not supposed to clap along. I'm watching a movie. I'm not in a concert, <laughs> but I I thought it was I thought it was great. I'm glad you mentioned Sam Elliott and Todd. I'm glad you put him in your. Uh, in your best supporting actor race because I thought he was outstanding, the best performance of his career, and he definitely deserves that uh, that nomination. Um, yeah, I thought it was it was incredible. It had me riveted the whole time. Now I haven't seen any of the other uh, A Star Is Born, but I don't think you need to. And I think this one stands on its own, like you said, because of the performances, because of the music, um, and Bradley Cooper definitely shows that he's got a talent behind the camera. Uh, so yeah, I'm going, I'm going four stars. It's my number one of the year so far. I haven't really felt like I've seen that many great films. Uh, my number one before this was a quiet place. And so I'm hoping I get a bunch more that are going to, uh, break into that group. But, uh, but yeah, Todd, what do you think? Uh, 
I'm not entirely on the same page as you guys, but uh, I did like it as well. Uh, I think the first hour plus is like scintillating. I think it's like quiet, realistic, and grounded, and it's kind of funny. But it hits a point for like a half an hour. It's just really, really bad. Like I think the editing in the movie is absolutely awful. It, it makes it seem like from her first appearance to when she uh, is like putting out her first record and she's on tour makes it seem like it's so brief. But that has to be like a minimum eighteen months. And then it, but at the same time, it also like compounds it by making it seem like when he like proposes to her that that. Uh, that it was kind of ridiculous, but they had to have known each other for so long, like, that had to have been, like, an, like a foregone conclusion. I don't know. I mean, like, that kind of thing just, like, really threw me. Like, it felt like it needed to be, like, a miniseries or something. The editing just did not work at all, and I, I think uh, the Grammys thing was kind of absurd. Bradley Cooper should have known that when his co-star tripped up the stairs going uh, <laughs> to accept her Oscar. Like, it was kind of chaos when that happened. Like, they wouldn't have just let him sit there on the stairs, drunk off his ass, and then wander onto the stage on, like, the most glamorous night in Hollywood, you know? Like, that kind of thing just, like, I don't know, that kind of ruined it for me. Like, there was a half an hour there where it was just, like, really, really bad. Uh, but I do really like the songs and stuff. I think... The Shallow is definitely this year's Falling Slowly, even though I think Black Eyes is actually the coolest, like, richest song in the movie. Uh, the story is totally familiar. I think it's, like, the exact same story as Walk the Line, Crazy Heart, even Pop Star, and especially Burlesque. Like, that, it's, like, basically the, same, the exact same movie as Burlesque. Even um, straight down to, like the, the, like, the secluded house that they're living in where they, like, find themselves or whatever. Like, that's, like, totally out of every single, like, uh, movie about a... A, uh, like a, a struggling singer or whatever. Uh, Lady Gaga is, uh, I think she's amazing. She's going to win Best Actress and she's going to win an Oscar for one of her songs. And Bradley Cooper disappears into the role for like 90% of the movie. Uh, Sam Elliott also is really good. I, I, th I actually do like Bradley Cooper even more because he based his character on Eddie Vedder and he totally embodies that like California cool, yes. rich, m mixed with that like southern uh, soulfulness thing. Like, I think that, uh, when I heard that that's what he based his character on, it actually made me like his performance even more. Um, I, I think the the last act I, I did really like, uh, it's kind of where it had to go. I felt bad for the dog, honestly. like Yeah, that's what someone said in the movie theater. They were like, poor dog. <laughs> I'm not even sure how the dog got out of the house, because he shut the door. But But he did get a great <laughs> meal for dinner. I mean, that steak looked... That's true. Pretty sumptuous. <laughs> So, I mean, I've seen the first to Star Wars War, and I haven't seen the second two, but, uh, I don't know. This movie seems kind of unrecognizable, and I'm not really sure what it was going for, what, what time period, because it, it had YouTube in it, but it also did not have any mention of, like, cell phones or any other use of the internet, so I'm not really sure what year we were supposed to be in. It was, that was kind of strange, and how, like, hard it was to track him down. Like, I thought that was kind of odd. Uh... I also thought the movie was, like, pretty old-fashioned, and not just because it was a remake, but it was, like, there there were, like, slapstick kind of stuff. Like, the whole Dave Chappelle uh, character and that those scenes seemed really outdated. I'm not... I, I don't know if he was going for trying to make a movie, like, that belonged in the 50s or not. I'm not... I'm, it was... I don't know. It was kind of distracting, the, the way he treated some scenes, especially in the middle. Uh, I don't know. I... I, it didn't exactly go exactly where I thought it was going to go. I thought the movie was really similar to The Spectacular Now and Days of Wine and Roses. I thought, like, she was going to eventually, be, like, become, 
some sort of alcoholic and, and or something and like overtake him in that but uh, I'm, I'm I actually like where the story actually ended up going I don't know I I, I liked it or I like really I like really liked it and then I hated it and then I liked it again I don't know where to go with it honestly I give it two and a half stars Ooh, ouch oh burn I will say one of the things that I also really appreciated about it, and I'm like I said, I haven't seen any of the others, but I have a feeling that uh, that you have this sense in in those as well. Having Lady Gaga in that role of uh, of seeing her be created into a star and seeing her kind of lose herself in a little for a little while in in this is what you need to do to become a star. Uh, I thought. I thought that that kind of spoke to her career as much as uh, as much to the character, and I'm sure that um, that Barbara Streisand and Judy Garland felt some of that too when they made the film as well. But I thought that really added to it of seeing someone who uh, you know has been through this arc, uh, showing you this is what it means to to be a star, and this is what they do to you to make you a star, and and you might be uh, happy with it along the way, but those that have been with you the whole time might not recognize you for part of it yeah yeah i honestly so, can't see another person playing the role the way she did i think she with the singing and the dramatic scenes i'm not really sure that anybody else could have done that and especially with yeah the character totally is a lady gaga type character about her worrying about like whether she's pretty enough to become a star and all that stuff like she did the she went through the same thing so it it is definitely an embodiment of that so Todd, you like the first hour, you like the songs, you like Lady Gaga, you like the end. So why? I mean, you're saying that that a 30 minute chunk of the movie that I would agree was somewhat muddled is what drags it down to being not recommendable. It was, it was, okay. The movie is way too long for one. Either it's either way too long or way too short. But yeah, that 30 minute <laughs> period was bad enough that I actually cannot recommend the movie. <laughs> wow. Look, I, I, I okay. I, I, um, I agree that the middle parts are muddled. What I wish the movie had done was, I wish that it had accelerated their uh, Ali's ascent to stardom a little bit more quickly. Where I really, where I, the movie started really affecting me again was when uh, the Bradley Cooper character was in rehab, and I wish that had been like maybe the middle point in the movie, and I wish that the focus had shifted from their music, which is great to the character study of their marriage because I think these are two really interesting characters that actually sort of ascend or transcend the the formulaic uh, devices of the plot and they're actually pretty well fleshed out characters. I would have liked to know more about their marriage and I think that that's the last 30 minutes of the movie. I wish it had really been maybe more like the last hour. yeah, and as a result, we don't really care about Jackson all that much. Like, I mean, I don't oh, know that's why we to watch him. I don't think we care. I think he, I think he's a he's he's an asshole. I mean, he's really unlikable. But I I think it's the movie you know shows us really interesting aspects of his personality, and he's compelling, but he's really unlikable. I think you lost, Todd. You lost this argument. This is a really good movie that you're nitpicking. No, no it, I mean no. There there's a really bad really bad storytelling in the middle that does not, does not make it worthy of recommending. Uh, Alright, well... You gotta admit, the Grammys part was really bad. Like, and, and absolutely I could ridiculous. see something like that happening. Why not? Totally they would let him sit on the stairs. There, There's no way. It's the like, Grammys, we saw what not that the Oscars. Dude. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> they, the Grammys would love it if something like that happened. It, they would encourage it. 
Okay, so 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 Todd is Todd is saying that the movie that has the best actress front runner and deserves to win, and a movie that uh, will be winning it's best original for the first hour. Yeah, and a movie that will be winning best yeah. original song and possibly have other uh, other potential nominees, and is the favorite to potentially win best picture, is no, not, not worth watching. That's what Todd is saying, because of, of, of a, a half hour surrounded by masterpiece um, and they don't have cell phones in it yeah because they because they they decided not to have uh the main character hold a cell phone at any point throughout the movie <laughs> well done todd it's not just that like why would they even have the, the whole youtube thing like why would you mention that youtube if too yeah can you at least admit it's better than any of the previous a star is borns at least better than barbara streisand i, I haven't that seen one's a train that one i've only seen the first one and I, I like that one more actually the Janet Gaynor version. I can't speak to that one, but the but the third one is like a catastrophe, really I'm laughably sure. bad. Chris and, Christopherson, and I, I can't imagine. Yeah, it, being good. it's awful. And like you know, she like starts singing disco songs midway through, and so I, I'm I'm guessing that when Bradley P- Cooper or pitched this movie, people must have laughed at him. But the fact that he took this concept and made it serious and compelling and interesting and original for the most part, I think, is a real testament to his craft as a storyteller and his performance in Lady Gaga's performance. I mean, I think it's 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 kind of an incredible accomplishment. Well, I know Eddie Vedder told him not to do it, and then he based the character on him, so that's interesting. Yeah, I, I listened to a podcast one time. I think it was a uh, it was you must remember this that uh, went into the making of the Barbara Streisand version and basically said it was just a catastrophe behind the scenes, and uh, and it kind of showed in the in the uh, final product as well. All right, let, let's move on from this because we're, we're never going to agree. I'm giving it four stars and saying it's the best movie I've seen so far this year. Zach is giving it three and a half stars, saying it's amazing and the, the uh, favorite for best picture at the moment. And Todd is saying it is a two and a half star movie. Don't go see it. It's not worth seeing the uh, best actress winner uh, do her thing. Okay, so let's move on because uh, it's time to go into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. And our spotlight segment is doing something. It's been a while since we've done, and that is we are going to uh, uh, recast uh, the remake of a movie, and we are looking at a film that has been out for 20 years. It is the 20th anniversary this year of Rounders, uh, one of Todd's favorite movies. So, Todd, I'm going to throw it to you. And uh, tell me a little bit about why you love Rounders so much, and I'm going to let you just kind of lead this uh, this whole discussion here. Uh, well, Rounders is one of the probably top five most watchable movies I've ever seen. I, I watch it whenever it's on TV, and it never really gets old. It's it's uh, the best poker movie there is. It's like the, the first movie or the first anything that really got Texas Hold'em in the mainstream. And, uh, obviously, I mean, it got stars at the time of Matt Damon, Edward Norton, John Malkovich, even Oscar winner Martin Landau to be in the movie, so it's, uh, it's just, I don't know, it, it's, it's basically almost a perfect movie, it, it does have its flaws, but it's just endlessly watchable, uh, so, if I would, uh, it originally was directed by, uh, John Dahl, and it's not really a movie that necessarily needs a great director uh, on uh, on it, but for me, 
what I decided if I was remaking it today, I would have uh, someone who would be sort of non-invasive uh, on the movie and not, not make it too flashy. I would put Barry Levinson as a director, and I would also have him co-write it with Norman Chad, who is the uh, World Series of Poker <laughs> color commentator. Because it, the one thing that the movie does have flaws on is uh, a little bit of the... The, the the deep diving into into poker like te, uh, Teddy KGB's tell is absolutely ridiculous. It's like a really obvious way to show what a tell is, but the the actual like eating of a cookie to be like that series of a tell is really like almost disturbing. So I think Norman Chad would be able to make it a little bit more realistic in that way. So he along with Barry Levinson's dialogue, I think, would be the perfect writer director combo for uh, recasting of Rounders. Norman Chad's a terrible choice. <laughs> to write it? Hey, he's only co-writing it with Barry Levinson. Yeah, right? he, he's, such, he's so corny and such a gag guy that it would be I'd, Yeah, but oh, he knows his poker. Yeah, Barry Levinson's sort of a terrible choice, too. Like, terrible. what's the last relevant thing he's done? He, he, made, a, he made a TV movie. I didn't realize he was still alive. His, his son is directing stuff. Well, that maybe his son should direct it. There we go. No... No, he directed the. It was a. Wasn't it the movie with De Niro about, uh, with Bernie Madoff or something? Wizard of Lies. Yeah, wasn't that Barry Levinson? I don't know. Oh, uh, he Maybe. yeah he did. Well, he did the Paterno movie and the Wizard of Lies. Those are, oh, he and, did the Paterno those were his movie. last couple of years. Hmm. So he's still making stuff, just one with HBO. But I I think that he has the right, and he 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 has a good way with dialogue. I think that that would, that's the kind of thing it needs, and it doesn't need like a flashy director. So that's why I chose Levinson. Okay, well, I love Rounders too. I think it's a great movie. It's a movie that, that has grown over time because when it came out in 1998, you're right, the world re- didn't really know that much about Hold'em and poker really wasn't a thing. The World Series of Poker was broadcast, but it was sort of a fringe niche thing. And the movie just gets better and better over time. I mean, it, I completely it second what Todd is saying. It's like compa- compellingly rewatchable. And the lines take on this kind of cult status of their own. And, you know, the characters are just wonderful. So it, it, it's a perfect movie for our time. Um, and, and that being said, the whole idea of recasting, it seems sort of vulgar in a way. So I'd still like to keep some of the uh, main ingredients on the remake, if possible. So my choice to write the screenplay for this wonderful remake is none other than Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, who apparently played poker. Or well, Matt Damon played poker to prepare for this movie and was knocked out uh, when he had uh, pocket kings by Doyle Brunson. Player. Well, whatever. I think he. I think he and he and Ben could, you know, knock one out again. Maybe go to Vegas, hang out. Maybe actually it could be an almost sideways trip. We could hang out with them. It would be pretty awesome. And I think this movie needs to be directed by Thin Kevin Smith, who after his heart attack has lost a lot of weight and needs to make a great movie again. So let's let's just redo the whole late '90s Miramax thing without Harvey Weinstein and let's bring these guys back. Knock it out of the park. I guess that makes sense. It would, it would probably take place more in New Jersey than. Exactly, it's movies in Atlantic City, so why not have Kevin Smith well, there? It's perfect. Only part of it's in Atlantic City. All right. Well, uh, let me uh, let me tell you the direction I've decided to take this in. Um, as so, first off, Rounders is a movie that I remember when I first saw it. I really liked it. Um, it had, it has been way too long since I've seen. It. I think I've only seen it start to finish once. And so last night I actually had to watch part of it just to remind myself of some of the plot points and who all these characters are that we're going to be looking at that Todd beloves so much. Um, so, uh, so I did that, and as I was starting to think about 
who I'd want to, to cast in this, I started to realize a trend that was developing that uh, I decided to take this in a completely different direction. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to move this movie across the pond and I'm going oh, no. to have it written and directed by Matthew Vaughn, who is the guy who did Kingsman. He did uh, he did Kick-Ass. He, did, uh, he wrote Layer Cake. Uh, it's going to give it a slightly different vibe to it. It's going to... Uh, to be a little more uh, fast-paced, um, and uh, and move move a little differently, but I think he could definitely do a do a decent job at it. I was thinking either him or maybe even Danny Boyle, but uh, that that vibe doesn't quite fit. But so I'm going uh, I'm going Matthew Vaughn. It's gonna be Casino Royale ish. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering if this influences your cast too, because well, actually, it was a, it was the cast that it was the cast that influenced my my filmmaker. I started putting the cast together. I'm like, oh well, I that see. that guy's so British. Oh, that so Zach. Why don't I just make it a British version? So that's what I'm doing. It's a controversial choice. Yep. So Todd, who's first? All right. So the main character in the movie is Mike McDermott. Uh, he is a aspiring lawyer who lost all his money to uh, poker shark uh, at one point, and he's yeah he's now in law school. He's played by Matt Damon. Uh, it's a an interesting character to try to cast because I I feel like you have to have an appearance of being somewhat you know wicked smart or something, uh, but. I don't know. I, I, I also feel like Matt Damon's a little too old for the part anyway, so I, I went with a younger cast, like a, a guy who actually would be the age to be in law school. So I went with Nick Robinson. He was in uh, Love, Simon this year. He's a, he, he's sort of a rising star actor, and I, I feel like he has the the right kind of demeanor that he that he could play Mike. And it, it, But it's not an easy part to cast, honestly. I... It, it was it was uh, difficult to find somebody to replace Matt Damon because I feel like he was almost written to play that part, especially because he played it right around the same time he played Will Hunting, which is a very similar character and with a similar kind of tics. But Nick Robinson is my choice. He's uh, a little bit younger than Matt Damon was at the time, but I think he could he could pull it off. Yeah, I mean Loki. I I think it's Matt Matt Damon's may, maybe his best performance in a movie. I mean, and and it's coming off. You know, it, it's in a great era for early Matt Damon performances. That trifecta of Goodwill Hunting, Rounders, and Talented Mr. Ripley is just awesome. Um, and look, you, you just look at like some of the subtleties of his facial expressions in the movie, and you can see that he's just a brilliant actor. So anyone who ever gets down on Matt Damon, like maybe after downsizing, a great you know sort of uh, therapy for that is watching this movie. Um, I had a really hard time recasting Mike McD. Uh, it, it, it's it's deceptively easy because you just think a straight straight man, but you know someone who also has significant acting chops and who's likable and vulnerable at times. And after a long de- deliberation, the name I came up with was Army Hammer. Uh, Army Hammer's maybe a little old for the role, but, you know, law school, hey, you don't have to be necessarily, you know, in your early 20s, but, uh, you know, I think Army Hammer is very good looking, very suave, very compassionate, and I could see an opening scene where Army Hammer's looking around for money in his drawers and, uh, you know, bringing it and subsequently losing it at the hands of Teddy KGB, so that's my pick. I don't think he's New York enough, and he is way too old. He's not that old. I, he's younger than he? Terry. He's like what, late thirties? <laughs> like, no, he's uh, he's thirty-one. <clears throat> it's not that bad. Maddie was in his late twenties in the movies. At least he's blonde, I guess. 
Yeah, I think there's a physical resemblance. Maybe that's why I'm, you know, what I'm thinking of. I was going to pick Jesse Plemons, but then I realized it's just a physical resemblance, and we need to move past that. Yeah, I, I don't think Army Hammer's charming enough. I don't think he would, uh, he would fit quite as well. Wow, that's 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 brutal. Maybe, maybe it's just because I I can't get the Winklevi out of my head whenever I see him. Um, so uh, I I've got two options here. One is just like you said, looking at physical resemblances. Uh, I didn't say Jesse Plemons. I said Lucas Till. Because I was looking through people who could potentially do it that were around the same age, and Lucas Till looks like Matt Damon, just like a taller, more muscular version uh, from that time. So that would definitely fit. Um, with Matthew Vaughn writing and directing, it might be a little obvious, but my uh, my Mike is uh, is Taron Egerton. Uh, he's a super rising star right now with uh, the Kingsman franchise. He's Robin Hood coming out soon. Uh, next summer, he's Elton John. Uh, I think he's got he's got the 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 smoothness he's got the charm uh and he's he's got the the cleverness to be able to to pull off this role so i'm going taron egerton so then who's lucas till lucas till would be like if you want someone to look like matt damon you go with lucas till okay i see i see you're just throwing out i just throw 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 out there yeah yeah i was confused okay all right uh the next character is uh (laughs) the character of worm Played by Edward Norton. Uh, this character is definitely the scene stealer. He is a fast-talking guy. He's just getting out of jail. Uh, and he was, like, uh, swindling the uh, the guards and everyone in jail. Playing, for, playing poker for cigarettes and, you know, stacking the deck and stuff like that. He's definitely the mechanic of, of the group. And he is in debt a lot. Uh, and uh, Mike is trying to get him out, and Edward Norton is pretty much the perfect person to play this role, especially at the time. It made it like completely crazy that he would be in this and American History X in the same year. But uh, he like it, it's almost impossible to cast. But the one person I thought that would be the best for it would be too old for my cast, which was Shia LaBeouf. I, I think uh, if anyone could pull off those lines. Uh, that Worm has, it'd be Shia LaBeouf. And then, but yeah, if they did this like five it. years ago, that would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I, I also thought of Lakeith Stanfield, but I, I just can't pick him for every supporting role in my <laughs> recastings. <laughs> so I went with somebody basically the same age as Nick Robinson, and that's Ansel Elgort. And uh, I, I feel like he, he, could, he could slide into that role pretty nicely. I, I feel like he has that sort of like... Uh, arrogance about him that that uh that he could that he could be worm and he, it would be a, a sort of a step out for him because he's never played a role like that before but i i think that'd be a lot of fun to watch you, you're telling me you could you could realistically see a, a scene with ansel elgort where he lifts up his sleeve and he's got a new tattoo i can't see that i can't hey, see I, him in prison i can't I see him owing money <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you buried the lead here that you have a tattoo based on worm <laughs> too much like of a I personal said, connection to this character it would be a step out for Ansel Elgort but I, I, I feel like I, I could I could definitely see him pull it off I mean I never thought that he could be baby what? that that, that was the perfect Ansel Elgort role the perfect one in 1998 would have been Sam Rockwell but you know 
Well, true. He, he's he's now too old to do that. And Edward Norton's great in in the role, but uh, yeah, I mean, Worm is someone who you know you have to believe is is in prison and is such a hot mess that he really you know uh, at a certain point Mike McGee tells him to get out of my way. You know, I don't want you gambling. You know, you're just going to bring me down, and so you have to have someone who's flashy. Originally, I thought of Robert Pattinson. Because, you know, like, I, I could see him with that kind of flashiness, but he's too old for the role. So instead, going off my Army Hammer theme, I went with an up-and-coming actor who everyone loves, and that is Timothy Chalamet. That's right. I'm going for the Call Me By Your Name remake. Mike McDean Worm, Army Hammer, and Timothy Chalamet. Tell me I'm wrong. T- Chalamet would kill it. Aren't they supposed he, to be he, the same age? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, like beside that, buddies, <laughs> the whole point. <laughs> hey, of, you know what? Calling by your name was that he was way older. <laughs> Sam Elliott and Bradley Cooper, if they can be believed as brothers, then Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet can be best friends. Okay, work with me here. Come on. I, I think I think that all this proves once again is that your choice of Army Hammer is terrible. <laughs> okay, well, maybe it was because I cast Timothy Chalamet, but you know what? It would still be funny and it would bring people to the movie, and I'd like to see it. They could do it. Why not just make it like Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet? That would have been way better. No, because Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet were in Call Me by Your Name, and it would be funny to see them reunited. And Lucas Hedges looks yeah. too much like Matt Damon. And Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet were both in Lady Bird. I mean, like, you could have. And then, and then just yeah, make Saoirse Ronan Joe, and you're good to go. Oh, huh. shit, I hadn't thought of that. Well, <laughs> There's there no go. way that Kevin Smith would cast him as Chalamet as Worm. <laughs> yes, I, I think so. I think it's conceivable. <laughs> well, Jay is too old, so. Who would watch, okay, who would, <laughs> would you rather, listeners out there, all three of you, would you rather watch a Barry Levinson-directed version with Todd's cast, or a Kevin Smith returning to New Jersey with the stars of Call Me By Your Name? I mean, I'd pay for that, you know? I want to see that. Okay, well, let, let me get back to my cast, which is far superior to both of yours at this point. Um, <laughs> Well, obviously they're British. I mean, you yeah. know, that's like that's a trump card. It's not fair. <laughs> so for, first off, first off, Todd, um, uh, I have a better worm for you. And if I hadn't made the the British version, he would have been my worm. He's a perfect worm. He looks like he, I, I have like a couple of the looks like and would fit in ones. He looks like Edward Norton, even Michael Ingarano. I mean, come on, man. He would I be the perfect worm. I did think about young William Miller as as Mike, actually. <laughs> oh, he'd be the perfect worm. Anyways, uh, so that's who I would have cast if this was my if I could have Americans in there. But I'm going with uh, British, and I'm actually going to take a, a slight step out too. But I think this one would actually work, uh, other instead of uh, what what you guys are saying. Uh, my worm, my worm is Dev Patel. Uh, I think it would be it would be really interesting to see him. I could see him kind of being that shady character, that slimy character, trying to get away with stuff. It would again be another step out, but I could actually see it as opposed to all the crap that you guys are throwing out there. <laughs> That's a terrible choice. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it could get worse than Ansel Elgort, but you proved oh, me wrong. Oh come on! Terry. You could totally see Dev Patel doing a better job than Ansel Elgort. N- no. Oh yeah. This is get this is getting bad already. already. Okay, is this just proving that that this is a very high war performance for uh, Edward Norton? It, it is. Yeah, he's yes, in my sporting actor lineup in '98 for sure. He's that is nobody else could be warm like that except yeah Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Okay, so the next character we're going to go with is Teddy KGB, which was played by John Malkovich in his wonderfully horrible accent. And he he is sort of like the... Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what you would call him. He's sort of like a, a gangster. He has his, like, his uh, basement underground uh, poker game that he plays, and which I always thought was a flaw in the movie, which nobody actually spotted his tell in the entire time that he's played maybe he only plays people once and then they never go back like mike's the only one who's like arrogant enough to or like confident enough to actually go back and play him again but uh so john malkovich that it's an interesting character you don't really need to be all that great of an actor to play that because it is kind of a ridiculous character so i went with somebody who is a uh borderline pro poker player in himself and that's toby mcguire he's <laughs> player he's writer- what player, <laughs> yeah, player, x. player x exactly from molly's game yeah he he's right around that same age and he he is totally capable of pulling off that accent and uh i, I feel like he actually would be super intimidating uh at the poker table at, at the same time and he actually knows what he's doing so he would make it not like uh kind of corny i i feel like so toby mcguire would be my teddy kgb I would think there are pretty good coaches on set to, like, show the actors how to actually play poker. I don't think that would be a big problem, but uh, whatever. Um, my Teddy KGB is someone who, I think what's more important than actually having accurate poker skills or realistic poker skills is being able to master the accent, as you said, Todd. So I'm going with an international actor who speaks a variety of languages, although I'm not sure if he speaks Russian. I know he speaks German, and this actor's name is Peter Simonashek. And uh, his performance in Tony Erdman was an excellent indication that he can do a wide variety of work. And, He's way uh, too old. Oh, come on. How old is Ted, old. Teddy KGB? Well, I mean, what, Toby Maguire? He's way too young. <laughs> Malkovich was 45 when that movie came out, and Toby Maguire now is 43. Well, you know what? Peter, Peter Simonashek is, is like ageless. 78. He's timeless. <laughs> How many times are we going to have this argument? <laughs> He could not have played Sean in Good Will Hunting. There's no way. That's a terrible choice. Uh, okay. So I, I've got... This is another one. I have two castings. The the perfect if you want the same vibe choice obviously is Christoph Waltz. Uh, you throw him in as Teddy KGB and it's basically the same movie. Um, I'm looking at this. All you really need uh, is a foreigner... Um, I didn't go with someone Russian. I went with someone that uh, is French. That I think Malkovich would... is not foreign. No, but he's no, but it's a foreign foreign role. I mean, it's a foreign. Yeah, like, but yeah. So, but you didn't. But you didn't uh, uh, put a foreign guy as Jesus in The Big Lebowski like I did when I put Lin Manuel Miranda. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyways, uh, so my 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 KGB. His name obviously would be KGB, but I, I'm going with Jean Dujardin. Um, oh no. Yeah, he would bring he would bring something a little different to it. It would he'd like wink at the camera, you know? He'd be like Douglas Fairbanks, you know? He'd have that oh, dive all no, no, mustache. It'd, it'd that be like it'd be like his this, his character he'd be smoking in Wolf, cigars. It'd, oh, it'd be like his character in Wolf of Wall Street a little bit, just kind of this this shady foreigner, but um, but running like this this whole underground game. I could see it. 
I could see he it. would take like Worm and tie him up on the railroad tracks, and Mike would have to rescue him, and Scott Joplin music would be playing. I mean, that's a terrible choice. He's way too buttoned up, even in The Wolf of Wall Street. I don't think he could be KGB. He wouldn't splash the pot whenever if he pleases. He wouldn't do that. I'm telling you, it would be a different vibe to the character. It wouldn't be like this this crazed maniac of a poker player. He'd be like the 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 uh the suave intimidating type but i'm going with right. it i'm going with it this is That's going downhill it was started downhill it's even going further okay so our <laughs> next character is uh joey kanish who is played by john Turturro, who is like a player he a guy who used to play poker but now he's just sort of like mike's mentor he, uh i'm not really sure what exactly his actual job is now he like you only see him at like the sauna and like uh i don't know at in atlantic city playing with them he runs truck driving uh, business. Okay. Yeah, and he pays alimony. He's very successful at his truck driving business. Yeah, but he's the he most successful a, one in the movie. He used to be a poker player, but he didn't have the balls to stack up again after he lost. Supposedly, uh, that's what Mike says at least. And so I went with another uh, actor who is a pro poker player, and that's Ray Romano. Uh, he he is <laughs> no, probably I can see that. old for the part. That's good. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a good one. But uh, he he uh, he has that kind of that kind of attitude that he could be that like sort of like worn down uh guy past his prime and uh yeah and uh he, he was in the world series of poker this year quite a bit i i wanted to i kept trying to find a spot to put uh, kevin pollock but uh i couldn't do it they were at the same table at one point in the world series poker main event yeah that but, was yeah, pretty Ray cool Romano, i think could be a good knish <laughs> best choice you've That's had a- so far yeah, that's a good one. Although he's a little old at this point. But yeah, I know. He is too old. He's like 19 years too old. Yeah. Uh, for Kanish, I went with Adam Driver. You need someone who's, you know, sort of unusual looking, like John Turturro. And maybe a little intimidating, but also, you know, sort of straightforward and, and trustworthy. So, I don't know. That that one was maybe the most bland character to recast. And John Turturro is amazing in that movie. It's, it's awesome to think that he was in that Think of that performance, and then compare that with Jesus and the Big Lebowski. Great run in 1998. He, he's way too young. Adam Driver's way too young for that role. I mean, the the idea is this is a guy who's, who can How be old like is a Adam mentor. Uh, I'm going to say maybe 30. Oh, I think he's older than 30. I think he's probably 35. Yeah, 35. Todd's right. He's 35? 30, he's 34. Yeah. 34. Turning 35 so, yeah. in a month. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, so, maybe a little Kanish, young, but so what? You know? was forty-one it, at the time. That you know, it's 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 fair. I I like the physical resemblance. I think he could pull it off. All right. Well, okay. well, mine mine I think is one of my better my better choices for this. So my my uh, my British version of Kanish is Chris O'Dowd, because you got to have this somewhat kind of loser quality to him. Like he he's he's this. I mean, he's basically going to be playing his role from Molly's Game. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he, he's, he's this guy who, he's successful, but he also just kind of has this, yeah, I w- I'm successful because I was a failure at what I love to do, um, vibe to him, and I think Chris O'Dowd is, is perfect at being a lovable loser, so, that's what I'm going with. But, th- but that's the thing, Kanish isn't a loser, like, he makes, you know, he makes a good living, I mean, I think that's the subtlety of the character is that he's, he's the one that pushes Mike toward a, a good life, having an, a more honest life away from poker. But, but he, he's viewed almost, he's viewed as a loser because, uh, he's the one that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. 
But you're, you're absolutely right, Zach. In, in the grand scheme of things, he is one of the more redeemable characters in the whole thing. But that's not how he's viewed by the other characters. Yeah, because, yeah, he was a pro, sort of, or he was like a, a rounder, and then he lost, <coughs> and then and now he is doing what he's doing. He's not playing cards as much anymore, except on the side. And But he still, he still is definitely part of that community. Well, yeah, because he's, he, he's viewed he, as a loser. He's hanging around all the places like he like he would be playing, just because he can't give up being there. It's kind of strange. Anyways, that's another thing I think is weird is that it took the longest time for uh, Kanish to hear the story about how Mike uh, kept check raising Johnny Chan. Uh, like they, they like they're like close and like he never told him that story. Like I feel like that's a story you would brag about to everybody if you like beat the champ, but. I don't know. I I think Todd wins this. I think Ray Romano's better than both our choices. But uh, he's a little too old at this point. But but like, you know, late nineties Ray Romano would have been perfect. Yeah. He's not British enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Okay. And our next role that we're gonna recast is uh the role of Joe, which is Mike's girlfriend, uh played by Gretchen Maul. Uh probably one of her first movie roles, uh and uh, she is sort of the character that is trying to get Mike to uh, stop playing cards. Well, he, he did stop playing cards, and she's trying to keep him, like, you know, she he, she goes to law school with him and all that. I don't know. It's not that difficult of a part to play. Uh, I went with somebody who has rapport with Nick Robinson, and that's uh, Catherine Langford, who was in Love, Simon with him. She's also uh, the main character in 13 Reasons Why. I, on- I only went with her, really, because I-, I could see her playing really well with Nick Robinson, and that would be an interesting uh, dynamic, and she actually is the right age to be in law school. So I think the character of Joe is a thankless character, and uh, she's really unlikable in the movie, and um, I think it's sort of a wasted role. Um, I think, you know, the worst thing you could say about it is that it's a pretty misogynistic role. Um, she's really annoying, and when she leaves the movie, that's when the cool stuff starts happening. So, I don't know, I was of two mindsets. I mean, I really wanted to say, well, let's just either eliminate the character of Joe entirely, or cast someone who's actually going to make this a more interesting and provocative role. And so the actress that I came up with was Sasha Lane, because I can't imagine a movie with Sasha Lane where she doesn't, like, make the character really interesting and compelling. There's no way that Joe would be a throwaway wet blanket girlfriend if she was played by Sasha Lane. And I think she would have great rapport with Army Hammer, and she would make that role um, a lot more interesting and dynamic than what what uh, Gretchen Mull brought it in 1998. Well, in the poker game of life, she would definitely be the rake. Not Sasha Lane, though. I mean, Sasha Lane, like, I, I could see <laughs> the, that character though. going so many different directions, like, but I don't know. Or, or throw it out completely. Sasha, Sasha Lane or bust. That's what I say. There's got to be somebody that keeps Mike like wanting to live the straight life though like she's the only part her character's terrible man she ruins the movie i mean she's an awful awful character you know and and i don't know how much it's gretchen mole's fault i don't know how much it's the writer's fault but oh man i rewatching the movie again she's unbearable to watch although loki in 98 i would have loved to see january jones in that role she could have nailed it too all right what do you got terry i've got uh lily james in the role of joe uh so, I'm not the only one that cast someone from Baby Driver. 
Uh, but I definitely made the better choice of who to cast where. Um, I think at, at at the least she'd be interesting to look at um, and listen to, and that's really all Joe's good for. So that's why I'm going with yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and she and she's good. And she's good. Okay, so the next character we're gonna go with was played by Martin Landau. It is the role of Petrovsky who is the professor at the law school and a judge, I believe. And he uh, he has built uh, quite a close relationship with Mike uh, since he's been a student, and he helps him out along the way. Uh, I went with another uh, pro poker-playing actor, and that's Gabe Kaplan, who uh, was uh, the play-by-play guy of high-stakes poker, on Game Show Network, and he also was Cotter and Wilco Bot Cotter. He hasn't acted in a long time, as far as I know, but he's the right age, and uh, yet another poker player would be perfect to add to this cast. So if poker playing is a prerequisite to be in your recasting, where is Jennifer Tilly in this cast? There's no real spot. There, there's no one in that age range that I could have used. <laughs> I mean, you could have made her Petrovsky, you know, like make her the female professor I she's don't know. like 70 years old you could have made her kgb Ooh, i like that, that. interesting yeah i would now have had to have her husband uh you know the unabomber <laughs> phil Locke. i would have had him in the movie too though you would have see there weren't it could have been kanish maybe yeah maybe when i was looking at petrovsky i thought <laughs> well we need an old man um who's able to give good advice and uh you know tell the story of growing up in yeshiva prep school and uh foolishly give mike ten thousand dollars like are you kidding me so it has to be someone with sage advice but also maybe foolish i thought of a performance in a movie <laughs> i'd seen a while advice, ago <laughs> exactly i thought of a, a performance in a recent movie i saw called tony erdman and the actor peter Samanashek would be great in this role i think we see this as a dual role for peter Samanashek. i think as teddy he wears the uh, wig that he wore in Ter- tony erdman the the blonde wig no i the dark-haired wig, and then as Petrovsky, he he graces his natural gray, and it's a dual role, a la you know, Kill, Sonny Chiba and Kill Bill Volume One, and uh, it's uh, or Michael Parks, excuse me, and uh, he pulls it off because he's amazing. Or Johnny Mo, but I, I don't think I could see Peter Samochek sipping gin. That seems I think I feel like he drinks beer. Yeah, but that's why he's a great actor because he could pull it off. <laughs> Okay, I, I think I have the I have the best Petrovsky of all of you guys. Um and and it might just be because it's a British cast, but also it's the perfect spot for this actor. My Petrovsky is Jeffrey Rush. Um someone who can give that sage advice, someone who will uh who will be that, that kind of fatherly figure to Mike. Um and no Not one, Jewish enough. Not Jewish enough. <laughs> 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 Very watch, yeah. Too, yeah. You, you're the one that's picking Peter Simonashek, dude. <laughs> Jeffrey. Hey, Rush. you know, there's there's some Yiddish components to him. You know, we, I couldn't see Jeffrey Rush talking about when I went to the yeshiva and I disappointed my mother. I couldn't see that. <laughs> Whatever. He's he's the best of the three that have been mentioned. Even if this was an American version, I think Jeffrey Rush would have, would be perfect for it. So I'm I'm going with it. I don't know. I like Gabe Kaplan. 
I like Peterson Monashek. I'm pretty sure Gabe Kapler won a World Series Poker bracelet at one point. I almost thought you said Gabe Kapler for a second, and I'm like, the Phillies manager was not in Welcome Back, Cotter. (laughs) (laughs) Kaplan. (laughs) Okay, uh, we got a couple more roles here. Uh, uh, The role of Grandma, who is like the... uh, He's, like, kind of a henchman dude who, like, buys up all of Worm's debt and, uh, uh, forces him to pay it back within a certain amount of time. It was played by Michael Rispoli, and it's not that difficult of a role to play, but finding someone in that age range, uh, was a little hard. I, I, I went with one of my favorite character actors, and that's Sean Hattesey. Uh, he played a similar role in Alpha Dog, I feel like, and, uh, I don't know. It's not that difficult of a role to play, and I think he could easily do it. It's an interesting choice. So, um, did you know that, uh, what was the actor's name you said? Who played Grandma? Michael Rispoli. That's right, Michael Rispoli. He lost out to James Gandolfini to play the role of Tony Soprano. Wow, I could see that. Yeah. Anyway, so I read that online somewhere, so I, I decided to go with Michael Imperioli as Grandma, because he was in The Sopranos, he was awesome, he hasn't done anything lately, and he, he like could pull that. out Grandma. I like that one. Alright, well, uh, well, my choice is uh, Killian Murphy, when you think uh, British and shady, uh, he's about as good as you get, so. Uh, and, and I cast him when I was still thinking it might be Danny Boyle directing it, and you've got to have one of those one of those staples in there, but yeah. I think he'd be pretty good. I'm not sure the role's big enough for Killian Murphy, but unless, like, Christopher Nolan was directing it. Or Danny Boyle. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's Matthew Vaughn, so maybe that wouldn't work. But anyways, I'm going with it anyways. Right. So the last role we're going to go with is uh, the role played by Famke Janssen, uh, uh, the role of Petra. Uh she isn't a whole lot to the movie. She's just pretty much like a pretty face, and she but she runs one of the games that they play in, and so I went with a foreign actress because it kind of has to be, and that's Yvonne Strahovski, who is uh, the uh, Hannah McKay in Dexter, and she's also in The Handmaid's Tale. She's a really uh, she's a good actress, and she doesn't really do a lot of movies, and I think that'd be the kind of role that she would break into movies with. I've never heard of her. You haven't uh, seen Dexter? No, I haven't. That's unfortunate. Uh, I took I took the Petra role in a slightly different direction. I went with uh, Helen Mirren. I see Petra as an older woman, you know? I think that would be really uh, interesting dynamic and development to her character. Wow. Come on, it could work. It could. But she but she wants to, like, she, she tries to sleep with Mike at one point, remember? Like, yeah, they, I know. They that would be a great history. scene. Her and Army Hammer. Army I mean, Hammer and Helen Mirren. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> you wouldn't pay to see that. <laughs> uh. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's so, just bad. So. Uh, so since uh, since Dexter was brought up, I gotta I gotta mention um, when I first saw Grandma, I kind of thought he looked like David Zayas, and then realized that David Zayas was actually in this movie already. <laughs> So, oh yeah, that's right. He is. <laughs> yeah, I thought <laughs> I that, about that. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, anyways, uh, one thing I find interesting about the role of Petra: this happens three years after 
Famke Janssen makes her uh, makes her appearance as a Bond girl. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So this isn't just like a throwaway character by some unknown actress. Uh, it's so it's looks more like a cameo almost. So my uh, my pick is going to be uh, Jessica Chastain as Molly Bloom, um, and uh, and just kind of try and mix it into uh, some. Uh, She's not British though. It it's no, but it's Molly Bloom. I mean, she ran games in Europe, didn't she? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's a decent call. That's what I'm going with. But who who is your Mike? Taron Egerton. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I can see it. I'm going with it. Going with I it. I like the older the older woman direction. I like though, because you know Petra seems very uh, mature and sophisticated. I mean, and, and I love that she just knows that it's the '88 World Series of Poker right away when she walks into Mike's apartment and can just appreciate Johnny Chan at his finest. Like that's awesome. All right, let's move on. With that, that we we spent way too long talking about this, and that went downhill from the start, and it just kept on going. <laughs> it was like the opening opening poker game with KGB. You know, it just went from bad to just catastrophic yeah yeah it's time to move on to power rankings you can't top that yeah that's the movie about the horse i'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here i'm kind of nervous now power rankings not including fargo can't choose fargo ever again todd got to be the one that picked our power rankings for this podcast because he won the game last time so todd inform us on what we are going to be discussing we are going to be discussing the top character entrances into movies. And this is an article that I wanted to write for a long time and just never got around to it, so I decided why not make everybody do it. So we are going to talk about that. We're, we're, we're How the character is introduced into the movie and uh, the most memorable scenes of that. We're getting some insight into Todd here. Through his laziness, we have to work. <laughs> but 20, 20 hours spent preparation for the Oscar blog post, though. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't want to do these. I just am too good at predicting Adam, and you guys aren't. So <laughs> yeah, you guys actually have to know Adam more or something. I don't know. All right. Well, let me start on this one. So um, this was this was kind of an interesting one to go with because I I kept on thinking of some really good memorable characters, but they didn't necessarily have really memorable entrances. So I had to try and find uh, some good, memorable entrances. Uh, my number five, uh, I just had to throw in there because it's pretty awesome as it's making fun of great entrances. My number five is Austin Powers, portrayed by Tom Cruise in Goldmember. Uh, it, it, it makes fun of every action movie, every, you know every moment of really Tom Cruise's career and then all of a sudden he turns around and it's Austin Powers played by Tom Cruise gold member number five yeah baby yeah baby and he doesn't even attempt a British accent not even not even a try he's just yeah I'm Tom Cruise that's all that matters (laughs) Zach number five all right, so when I think character entrances, um, I think of spectacular music, over-the-top, uh, memorable uh, occurrences. 
so I actually have a tie at number five. I don't like doing ties a lot, but I want to include both of these on the list, and, and they're both related in a way. The tie I have is Trip Fontaine and the Virgin Suicides, played by Josh Hartnett, and Christian from Clueless, uh, played by Justin Walker. And, and these are similar entrances because they're both the love interests of the teenage protagonists in each movie. In Trip Fontaine's case, the introduction is him... Um, getting to class like in the middle of the school day and uh, being high and wandering into a classroom when the principal sees him in the hallway. And in the case of Christian, it's uh, Cher um, talking about trying to find a boyfriend for Ty and then Christian enters and it's like, you know, stars a buzzing and flowers chirping and uh, it's, it's a great moment. So I don't know. I thought those were both great, like iconic moments from teen movies from the, from the 1990s. All right. Okay. I went sort of a similar direction with my number five it is uh angela hayes in american beauty uh the first time you see uh the character played by mina savari she is just sort of like a the friend character cheerleader in the ba- in the foreground and then when the dance sequence starts like uh the the whole uh cheerleading squad spreads and then it focuses in on angela hayes and and uh, she's got that like weird scowl that totally catches the creepy eye of Lester Burnham, and the camera doesn't leave her. She's like super sexy until she eventually like is in the imagination of Lester, and she bursts open her her uh, top to have rose petals f- flooding out, which is like the first time in the movie that you realize like this movie is really different and really weird, and uh, that is. Uh, an image that will always stick in your head when you think of American Beauty, of the rose petals, and uh, so that is a very memorable character entrance for me. See, this is exactly what I wanted to avoid with this list, which is, you know, like, chauvinistic male fetishizations, the male gaze, bull, and, like, that's those were the first things that I thought of, too, you know, like Cameron Diaz and the mask, but, like, I'm so sick of those. I want to get past it. And then, and then low-key specifically about that scene, the first time you see her is not when she's, like, dancing. The first time you see her is when she's, like, complaining to the... Yeah, she's sitting next to to the Jane on the the bench, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think it's very problematic to list those as great movie entrances in 2018. So I just wanted to throw that out there. All right. Okay. Fair statement. Number four on my list is uh, from uh, a classic movie. Uh, it comes near the end of the movie. It is the uh, entrance of Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, the story of To Kill a Mockingbird, you have these kids that are scared of this monster Boo Radley in this uh, in this mystery house, yet he's been the one that's been protecting him the whole time, and they open up, or uh, move the door that he's been hiding behind, and you see what everyone thought would be a monster, and being this just normal person that's really scared. Uh, it was uh, Robert Duvall's first film role, uh, and it it's just an amazingly memorable moment and amazingly memorable uh, uh, entrance for that character that has been, was a focal focal point of the movie, yet he doesn't show up until like the last five to ten minutes of the film. So, uh, Boo Radley to Kill a Mockingbird is my number four. I have no recollection of that scene. I want to watch it again, though, because that sounds really interesting. Um, 
So number four on my list is uh, one of the great uh, silent stars of all time, Charlie Chaplin, who made a number of great entrances in his movies. I, it's al almost a focal point of his movies to see the funny way that he first appears on screen. And the first one that, that came to mind for me was his entrance in The Immigrant, which is the film in which he's the, the, the setting is on board one of these ships, and we get these looks of forlorn immigrants who are sick and hungry and tired. And then out of the blue, we see Charlie Chaplin's fat ass right in front of the camera as he's leaning over the boat and it seems like maybe he's like throwing up or he's about to fall over and then he pulls up and turns around and has a big fish in his hand and he throws the fish on on the on the top of the ship and you know wakes up some sleeping immigrant i, I don't know it's a great entrance it's really funny uh to watch it today charlie chaplin had a lot of great entrances and anytime you can stick your your ass right in front of the camera it's a great way to start uh, a movie and to be introduced to a character so for me charlie chaplin is just just the the best can't go wrong with charlie chaplin uh my number four i went with uh one of the more iconic characters in movie history as vito corleone in the godfather uh it's the very first scene in the movie and uh bonacera is telling this sob story about his daughter and he wants vito to give him uh help and provide justice or some, of some kind and uh Vito's just sort of lurking in the shadows the lighting is really low and then the first thing you see of him is him motioning to Sonny to give him a shot of whiskey instead of a tissue when he starts to like tear up and uh he's like fooling around with a cat in his lap too like it's it just like sets the tone for the whole movie it's something like uh you, you get to know everything about Vito that you need to know from that one scene like his values his business sense his loyalty and uh it has one of the, obviously one of the most iconic lines in movie history uh and uh yeah Vito Corleone the start of the Godfather is uh definitely one of the most memorable entrances that's a great pick it is yeah. All right, number three on my list is one of my all-time favorite opening scenes in a movie, and it is from Spike Lee's Inside Man, and you have Dalton Russell, played by Clive Owen, sitting down and giving this amazing monologue about how he has just robbed a bank. And he's basically explaining the entire plot of the film before it even starts, and it's just him staring into the camera. Uh, it's amazing. I love that monologue. I love that part. Uh, and you got to pay really close attention to what he's going to say. That's my number three. Well, it is really interesting that you pick a Spike Lee movie as your number three, Terry, because I also have a Spike Lee movie as my number three, and that is Do the Right Thing, the opening sequence from that movie, Rosie Perez dancing in front of the camera over the opening credits, uh, her character actually isn't introduced until later in the movie, Tina, but it's a great introduction to the place and the setting, the hot, sweltering summer of New York in 1989. Uh, fight the power, you know, it's a great introduction to the movie, to the character. It kind of accomplishes what Todd was saying with The Godfather. We know about this environment right away, and it just gets you right in the mood for the movie. You're excited, you're pumped, you can't wait to see what's coming next. So, I don't know if it's really truly a character entrance. It is the first time you see her or any character in that movie, but it's just a great way to start the movie so do the right thing number three on my character entrance list that's a good one i'm going to take a completely different direction and i'm going to go with buzz lightyear in toy story yes uh, uh space his, ranger he, yes he is the, he's a his first appearance is when uh 
Andy is opening his birthday presents and everyone's like freaking out over the surprise toy from the closet and they all come rushing upstairs and they put him on the bed and then the camera like pans up Buzz's uh, body and he's the coolest looking toy in the galaxy and he can fly and the first thing that you see is him like uh, is him like jumping into character because he doesn't know he's a toy or which he's the only toy in the whole series that doesn't know he's a toy and he's like calls Star Command and like starts saying how he doesn't see any signs of intelligent life anywhere and uh, hello hello (laughs) yeah it sets him up almost like he's supposed to be a villain in the movie but he becomes just as lovable as every other character in the in the in the series and yeah i i don't know it the the build-up of that scene and then how it actually pays off is pretty awesome that's so that's my number three all right that is a really good one uh, number two on my list, I would say, uh, it kind of goes along the same lines as, uh, Todd's number five, but I think this is a much better entrance, and that is the first, uh, the first moment we see Penny Lane in Almost Famous. Uh, it totally, I mean, she, she just turns, and William Miller has that moment where, like, the world stops, and you just saw the most beautiful thing in the world. Um, Yeah. There's nothing else you can really say. Uh, Penny Lane, almost famous. My number two. That's a great choice. Good, good one. Of course. Uh, number two on my list is also an opening scene, like my number three, uh, and that is uh, the introduction of Oscar Schindler and Schindler's List, which happens. It's not the very first scene in the movie, but it happens when we flash back to the 1930s in Germany. Oh my goodness, what a great sequence! I mean, this this sequence absolutely introduces us to the the summation of who this man is a phony a fraud someone who's putting on the nazi lapel and when he enters this dance hall this put you know, no one knows who he is and he starts buying the drinks for the other nazis in the room and they say who's who's buying this and then you know, they're wondering who he is and then as the scene advances he starts dancing with them and then it flashes to photographs of them and they're all having this grand time and it's such a great way to start this movie and to show schindler as this fraud essentially who's trying to buy himself into the ranks of the Nazis, but in a really superficial and not ideological way, because he wants to be cool. He wants to be the cool kid. Great way to start the movie, great way to show the insidiousness that is the Nazi ideology, and uh, just a really, really awesome character entrance. I like it. My number two, I went with uh, Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction. So one of the things that I really like about character entrances is... uh, when you know about the character before you actually see him. So one of the ones that I always thought was like obvious for that would be like John Doe in Seven or something. But Marcellus Wallace has that too because the first scene in the movie you hear Jules and Vincent like talking about Marcellus and Tony Rocky Horror and you like get this image of what Marcellus is. And the first time you see him is from behind and there's a band-aid on his neck and like he's totally intimidating Bruce Willis as Butch. Uh, like talking about how he wants him to throw this fight and it's like it, it, it the character just becomes like the most like the, the, the coolest most intimidating gangster character and uh, I think that, that the scene is brilliant and for that character to be built up like that and to see him first like that to eventually have like some sort of redemptive arc in the end is kind of brilliant and I, I don't know I've always thought Marcellus Wallace had one of the greatest like introductions to a movie that I've ever seen. 
we could think of the top five character introductions just from Pulp Fiction. I mean, there's so many great entrances in that movie, but that is one of the one of the best. Well, just Tarantino in general. Like, I, I, I kind of stayed away from Tarantino entrances because I felt like you guys were, were going to have a ton of Tarantino on, on your list. So I just, I just stayed away from it. Um, number one on my list is actually something Todd just mentioned, and that is John Doe from Seven. Um, I remember the first time watching this movie uh, and just being completely entranced by everything that's going on, and then you get this scene in the in the uh in the uh police station and all you hear is detective and it's the first time you ever are even told kevin spacey is in this movie and he just comes out of nowhere and has and it i remember just being shocked and so you had this amazing entrance to begin with but then there was the shock value of the fact that his involvement in this movie and this character was completely kept um kept in the dark the entire time and then he comes up for the very end of this movie uh absolutely amazing entrance absolutely amazing moment and it's my favorite entrance of any character in any movie yeah that's a great choice that was yeah that was uh, definitely on the list of ones that inspire me to make this list so <laughs> all right well my number one is I, I i don't i don't even really know how to really classify it as one entrance or what i should really call it it's from casablanca and it's the end it, it, i i don't know really what to say i i guess originally i was thinking the entrance of rick when we see him right you know okay rick and he's playing chess by himself, and that's such a great entrance. But as I was re-watching it, I actually think an even better entrance than that is the first time Rick sees Ilsa again. And his, the expression on his face when he, you know, storms in and says, I thought I, when he tells Sam, I, I thought I told you to never play that again. And then and the music comes up, and then we see that look on his face and her look on her face as she sees him and his his uh, lips just twitch the, the faintest bit in this disgust it's one of the greatest looks in film history I, I, it's not maybe a true introduction to one character but it's an introduction to both characters and their relationship and it's an image I, I can never get out of my mind so I guess I'll say number one the the character entrance of Ilsa Lund in Casablanca yeah it's hard to take issue with that yeah hard to argue with Casablanca yeah. So my number one is uh, the only overlap of this whole thing, and that is Penny Lane. It's Penny Lane, man. Show some respect. Uh, so when when she walks out of the sh- uh, of the darkness with that like brown furry coat on, when uh, it's was the line is uh, what 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 who are you with? What band? Uh, I'm here to interview Black Sabbath. I'm not a uh, and she walks out and she's like a what, and it's like groupy like oh and then she gives her whole spiel about the band-aids and how they inspire the music we're here because of the music we don't have intercourse with these guys just blowjobs that's it and uh, like and then from that moment on like you can't take your eyes off of penny lane the rest of the movie or emily rugburn lady goodman whatever her name actually is uh it's uh She's my favorite character in the history of movies, and, like, that scene is, like, the perfect way that you can introduce somebody so mysterious and so interesting. That has to be in my number one. All right. Great choice. Uh, I've got a few honorable mentions. I'm just going to roll through some uh, just to throw them out there. 
uh, Carl Childers in uh, Sling Blade. Some call it a Kaiser Blade, I'll call it a Sling Blade. Uh, mm-hmm. I almost put, uh, it's kind of a character entrance, but I'm going with it. Kaiser Soze in The Usual Suspects, just like that last minute when you finally realize that you're looking at Kaiser Soze. Um, you see Kaiser Soze in the shadows earlier. Yeah, but the, the the feet, the shot of the feet is just brilliant. In um, the hand. In the hand. No, that's the feet. The hand is, yeah, but the feet is really what does it. Um, Doc Holliday in Tombstone, I love that one. Uh, Wooderson, Dazed and Confused, you gotta go with that too. Yeah. Um, Batman in uh, Batman, the first uh, the first Tim Burton one, that the moment with the with the thieves on the on the rooftop, I love that moment. Uh, Baby and Baby Driver, it's such a great great moment there with him in the car waiting for the waiting for them. Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs, you gotta mention that and. Possibly the most iconic uh, character entrance of all time. Uh, Harry Lyme in The Third Man, Orson Welles coming out of the shadows and just that moment of the spotlight right on him. It, perfect. Perfect. All right, my honorable mentions were Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation, mm. Channing, Ta- Channing Tatum in Magic Mike, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Boogie Nights, Although, as any character really in Boogie Nights, but Philip Seymour Hoffman's my favorite. Uh, Russell Brand as Aldous Snow in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Inside of you! It's hard to top that. And, uh, and the first time we see Mrs. Doubtfire. I was thinking that one, too. That's a good one. Okay, uh, so mine are Harry Lime. I thought that was, like, the obvious number one, so I didn't actually put him on my list. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, obviously, uh. he's, like, lurking in the back of that jail cell. It's just totally creepy. Uh, Alex DeLarge in A Clockwork Orange, uh, which the opening shot of the movie with that crazy look on his face is just bizarre, and you'll, like, that image will never get out of your head uh richie cusack in uh a history of violence of course uh william hurt that that character is built up so much throughout the movie and then when you finally see him for that like seven minute segment it's uh pretty amazing and of course the wizard in the wizard of oz another character that has been built up for the entire movie and then it is pretty hard to forget (laughs) how it actually happens that's, that's another one that's kind of like Boo Radley and To Kill a Mockingbird, where it's such an anticlimactic moment, but yet so memorable. Yep. Zach, I must say, I'm surprised that you did not mention Jackie Brown at all. Like, that, those opening credits of her just on the, on the walkway. It is, it is a great entrance. The, the only issue I have with it, it's, it's the same entrance as Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate, so it's not entirely Tarantino's in, original idea, but it, of course it's a great entrance. Yeah. Okay, let's get, into, uh, let's get into our game here. Let's see if we can pick what Adam's list is going to be. I think this, I mean, a lot of times these are hard. I think this is possibly the hardest one of them all. I, I think I, this I, one is easy. I feel like I say that all the time, though. I don't know. Okay. It depends on which direction he goes. I mean, is he going to go for the obvious, or is he going to go for the... I don't know. All right, so uh, here's my list. Number five, T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Uh, number four, Darth Vader from Star Wars. Number three, Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. Number two, Honey Rider from Dr. No. And number one, the Joker from Dark Knight. My number five was Jack Nicholson in The Departed. 
Number four is Darth Vader. Number three is the Joker in the Dark Knight. Number two is Hannibal Lecter. Number one is Don Corleone. Okay, my number five was John Doe in seven. My number four is Rachel in Blade Runner. My number three is the Alien in Alien. Uh, Number two, Darth Vader. And number one, the Joker in the Dark Knight. All right, Adam's list. He says it was a really hard list. He wanted to do a top ten so he could mention even more. So he's got a uh, an extensive honorable mention here. Um, honorable mentions, he's got Quint from Jaws, Tyler Durden from Fight Club, that's a really good one uh, that nobody mentioned, Hannibal yeah, Lecter, Silence one. of the Lambs, uh, Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Honey Rider mm-hmm. from Dr. No, The Alien from Alien, Uh, Jesus from The Big Lebowski I thought about that one too Uh, Darth Vader from Star Wars So hard to leave him off Yeah then why did you do it Adam Why did you do it Uh, Okay number 5 The Joker from The Dark Knight Number 4 Alex DeLarge A Clockwork Orange Number 3 Daniel Plainview There Will Be Blood Very similar feel to uh, Inside Man of just kind of that opening monologue uh, number two, Hans Landa in Glorious Bastards. And number one, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I got one. I got one. I got one. We I all think got we one. all know which one we got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all got I had the Joker Knight. number one, so that probably I had help. it number one, too. Zach, you had I it. I had it number three. So Zach That's wins. Win. So I win. Gosh. That was pathetic. See, I, again... <laughs> It all depended on which direction he went. If he went with the obvious stuff, we would have been good. But the only one that I think was, like, super obvious that he threw on there, like, super, like, mainstream, thought to be most memorable was Joker and Indiana Jones. And the other ones... I can't believe you didn't have John Doe. Like, he's the biggest fan of Seven of anybody I know. I, I am shocked that no one else but him mentioned Tyler Durden from Fight Club. That one's great. All right, well, uh, Zach, you get to pick our uh, our power ranking for next time, and I think we already know which direction you're going, uh, but that's okay. Uh, it's time to move on to trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. All right, I won trivia last time. Uh, it was a lovely uh, Seahawks trivia that we did between me and Todd. I had to, uh, or I had to. It was my obligation to pick a movie that Todd had to watch, and uh, and Todd did so. And so, Todd, tell us about Armored Car Robbery. Okay. Uh, it's directed by Richard Fleischer. I don't think he's related to the guy who directed Venom. I'm not 100% on that. Well, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I felt like the movie was a lot like the other RKO heist movies, uh, especially with how the story is unveiled. It's a really short movie. Uh, it's, it's a noir kind of in feel and look, but it's not necessarily narratively like a noir. It's about a robbery of an armored truck uh, by a crew of criminals brought together by one guy, which is sort of similar to a lot of the movies of the time. Uh, I'm not convinced the armored truck was really all that armored. Like, the security guys were complete idiots. I'm not... I think the imagination of how you rob an armored truck is really advanced in the last 70 years. Anyways. (laughs) Yes. uh, (laughs) uh, And I honestly don't think the stakes were even that high. Like, one guy gets shot, and there's no real mention of, like, blood being, like, poured out 
over the street or in the car. Like, you would think that if he was really a criminal mastermind, he would have actually, like, said something about that or, like, been, con- like, concerned that that might get them caught, but they didn't. I don't know. It was just kind of like a comedy of errors. I-, I think the ending is ridiculous, but still kind of predictable at the same time. It's not a good movie. It's way too short to really go in-depth on it. It was, like, 65 minutes long. I don't know. It was a two-star movie. It's fine. Oh, I love that movie. I gave it three and a half stars. There's no character development. They're all just, like, bumbling idiots. I'm not really sure how they're actually criminal masterminds. <laughs> it's it, uh, it's such a good movie, though. It's great. It's so much fun. <laughs> Zach, you need to watch it now, just so just so you can, uh, you can determine who's right about this one. Okay. Okay. That is getting us into our... Uh, trivia for this time which will be uh, Todd versus Zach in a round of classic Oscar trivia so I have picked a year of Oscars and you will go back and forth uh, seeing how many uh, of the nominees in the different categories you can come up with uh, for this one uh, since we met, uh, we're talking about Rounders and it being the 20th anniversary of Rounders I decided to go back 20 years and look at the 1998 Oscars. Um, no, Rounders was not nominated. Uh, but, doesn't mean it shouldn't have been, but it wasn't. So we're going to look at the 1998 Oscars. We're going to go through uh, several categories. In the past, we've gone through the major ones. But we're going to add in a couple at the request of Zach to give him a, a little bit more of a fighter's chance here. So we're going to go uh, picture, actor, actress... Supporting actor, supporting actress, director, uh, original screenplay, adapted screenplay, original song, and foreign film. Those are the ten categories we're going to roll through. Uh, you're welcome, Zach. So, 1998, and again, this is the 1998 movies that were uh, rewarded at the 1999 Oscars ceremony. Uh, let's see here. So, Todd, you are going to get a chance to pick whether you want to go first or second on the first category. I'll go first. You'll go first. Okay, so the way it'll work is if you, uh, if you get an incorrect answer, the other person gets a point, and they also get any extra points for being able to finish out the category. Okay, Todd, best picture, go. Shakespeare in Love. Correct. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Correct. Life is Beautiful. Correct. Uh, Elizabeth? Correct. <clears throat> Thin Red Line. Correct. Ran the category. I'm going to give you both a point for that. So it is one to one. Okay. Best Actor goes to Zach first. Uh, winner is Roberto Benini. Correct. Uh, Tom Hanks. Correct. Edward Norton in American History X. Correct. Nick Nolte. Correct. For Affliction. <sighs> and you, you picked the one that I, I don't know. Uh, Ian McKellen, Gods and Monsters? Correct. All right. It is now two to two. Todd. Best Actress. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Correct. 
Shakespeare in Love. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth. Correct. Emily Watson. Correct for Hillary and Jackie. Uh, for, uh, Fernanda Montenegro for Central Station. Correct. Uh, Meryl Streep, One True Thing. Correct. We have run the first three categories. The score is three to three. Zach, to you first. Best supporting actor. James Coburn for Affliction. Correct. Um, Robert Duvall, Civil Action. Correct. Ed Harris for The Truman Show. Correct. Uh, I don't have it. He doesn't have it. Zach, you take the lead. There are two more out there. Do you know them? Jeffrey Rush for Shakespeare in Love. Jeffrey Rush is correct. Jeff Bridges. No, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. Uh, okay, yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> the last one is Billy Bob Thornton for A Simple Plan. Uh, wouldn't have got that. <clears throat> okay, so we have a 5-3 to three Zach lead. Moving into Best Supporting Actress. And Todd, you are first. Uh, Judy Dench. Correct, for Shakespeare in Love. I'm blanking on her name. Shoot. Uh, uh, oh, I'll just give it to you, Todd. It, well, okay, no, was it... Um, Blenda Blethin for Little Voice? Correct. <laughs> Todd. Oh, ass. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh... Uh, Rachel Griffiths, Hillary and Jackie. Correct. Joan Allen for something. Incorrect. Todd gets a point. Todd, there are two more out there. Do you know them? Lynn Redgrave, Gods and Monsters. That is correct. And I think it's Kathy Bates for Primary Colors. That is also correct. Todd is winning 6-5. to five. Moving on to Best Director. And Zach, you are first. Steven Spielberg for Saving Private Ryan. Correct. Uh, John Madden. For Shakespeare in Love, correct. Not that John Madden. <laughs> Not the Turducken John Madden? Not the Turducken. Uh, Peter Weir for The Truman Show? Correct. Terrence Malick. The Thin Red Line, correct. Mike Nichols for Primary Colors? Incorrect. Todd, do you have the last one? Uh, Roberto Benini. Yep. Ah. So that gives Todd two points. So now Todd is winning eight to five. Moving into the screenplay categories. Todd, you are first best original screenplay. Uh, Shakespeare in Love. Correct. Uh, Life is Beautiful. Correct. The Truman Show. Correct. Hillary and Jackie. Incorrect. Todd with another point. There's two more out there, Todd. Do you know them? Uh, the Thin Red Line. Incorrect. It's based on a book. The <clears> other <throat> two were Saving Private Ryan and Bullworth. Yeah. Warren Beatty. Okay. Bullworth. There you go. All right. It is nine to five, and we've got three categories left. Zach, to you first. Best adapted screenplay. Uh, I think I'm kind of blanking on that. Uh, for 98. Oh, man. This is a tougher year than I remembered. Uh, yikes. Do I have to say the winner? 
if you don't, Todd can get an extra point for getting it. <clears throat> okay, well, the, the um, hmm. primary colors? That is correct, but it's not the winner. But not the winner. So, Todd, if you can come up with the winner, you get an extra point. Gods and Monsters. That is the winner. How did that win? Man, this has been a week happening. Bill Condon. That's his Oscar <clears throat> win. All right. Zach, back to you. Oh, back to me? Gosh. Uh, I'm really afraid to say the thin red line, but I'll just say it. Why not? It is correct. Elizabeth? Incorrect. Zach, you get a point. There's two more out there if you want to throw some out there, Zach. Affliction? Nope. The other two were a out, of sight? Si- out of Sight and A Simple Plan. Out of Sight, wow. All right, so the score is 10 to 6 going into the specialty round for Zach. And Todd goes first on Best Original Song. I only have one. It's uh, Reflection from Mulan. That is incorrect. Really? It's the wrong year, too. No, it's not. Zach gets a point. Mulan came out in 98. No, it didn't. Didn't it? Mulan came out in 98. It was not nominated for original song. Oh. It was nominated... It was nominated for best original musical or comedy score. But not for original song. Zach, there are five points out there for you if you can come up with them. Well, was the winning song from The Prince of Egypt? It was... When you believe, that doesn't Sweet. count. He didn't get it right. Well, I got the film right. That doesn't matter. All right, how about a half point? Half point, sure. Yeah, I have no idea what, the, no clue what the other song. Dude, are. you begged me to put best original <laughs> song in there, and then you can come up with a movie. Dude, <laughs> you picked a bad year. All right, so the winner was When You Believe from Prince of Egypt. The other nominees were That'll Do from Babe Pig in the City. Uh, That's a song? Apparently. (laughs) From the sequel. uh, The Prayer from the Magic Sword Quest for Camelot. The one I thought you would get is I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. And A Soft Place to Fall from the Horse Whisperer. Okay, so it is ten to eight or seven and a half or whatever you guys want to say. Um, Zach, you are first... Best foreign film. Life is beautiful. That is correct. Roberto. <laughs> Central Station. Correct. Oh, damn you. Damn you, Todd. <laughs> damn you, Salazar. Uh, oh boy. Let's think. I can't remember if this one was at a, a different award show or not. Was Beyond Silence? That is incorrect. Okay. So Todd gets another point. Todd, it doesn't matter, but do you have any more? I don't know. I feel like there is an Ang Lee movie, but I don't know. No. There was not. Nothing from Taiwan. Nothing from Taiwan. We have oh, okay. from Iran, Children of Heaven. From Argentina, Tango. And from Spain, The Grandfather. I've only heard of one of those movies. Well, there you go, Zach. I give you extra categories to try and help you out, and they end up making you lose by more. So, with a final score of 11 to 7.5, I guess, Todd is the winner. (laughs) 
Todd, yeah. you will be uh, you will be picking a movie for Zach and or I to watch, and you will be running our trivia game for next time. With that, let's end things off with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack, you bastard. Quote of the day. Zach, you're first. Well, the quote of the day has to come from Rounders, and uh, this is this should be a power ranking on its own, but the quote I came up with was in the penultimate scene when he's, you know, uh, in the final showdown with Teddy KGB, it's only about the money. I can leave now, even with Grandma and KGB, and halfway to paying Petrovsky back. That's the safe play. But then this is the line. I told Worm you can't lose what you don't put in the middle, but you can't win much either. And, and isn't that true about life and, and the podcast in general? You can't win much either if you don't put it in the pot. You always try to then say, this is all about the podcast. It is. <laughs> it is. It's like a Christopher Nolan movie. It all ends up being about, you know, something right in front of you. Deep. Uh, all right, Todd. All right, mine also, of course, comes from Rounders. It's a series of dialogue, kind of, from uh, Worm and Mike, uh, and it ends with something I say to my buddy Josh all the time. So uh, Worm starts out with saying, like, you know what always cheers me up when I'm feeling sh**? No, what's that? Rolled up aces over kings. Check raising stupid tourists, taking huge pots off of them, playing all night, no limit hold them at the Taj, where the sand turns to gold, stacks and towers of checks I can't see over. Okay, let's go. Don't tease me. Let's play some huh. cats. Very nice. Very nice. Yep. All right. Uh, mine is not from Rounders. I could have picked one from Rounders, but I, I had I had to give my uh, my opening monologue from Inside Man that I mentioned earlier on my uh, on my favorite uh, movie entrances. So the film opens up on uh, Clive Owen, and he says this: "My name is Dalton Russell." Pay strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat myself. I've told you my name, that's the who. The where can most readily be described as a prison cell. But there's a vast difference between being stuck in a tiny cell and being in prison. The what is easy. Recently I planned and set in motion events to execute the perfect bank robbery. That's also the when. As for the why, beyond the obvious financial motivation, it's exceedingly simple because I can, which leaves us only with the how, and therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. There you go. So good. So good. I love it. All right. Well, there is our podcast, episode 25, in the books. Thank you guys so much for listening to us, and uh, we will catch you in a few weeks. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.